Today I will be reading Acts 4 verse 32 to 5 verse 11. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Thank you, Anika. Good morning, everyone. Um, my word of welcome to, to all our visitors here this morning. I'm Etienne. I, uh, I get to speak for the next, next little while. Um, and you are stepping into, if you're visiting with us today, into a series of sermons that we're preaching through a book in the Bible uh, called Acts. And so this is about the fourth or the fifth message that, that we're looking at. Um, quite heavy content <laughs> that we get to look into this morning. Um, I'm going to take you through, but I guess I'll start with, I'll start somewhere else. I, I, I want to start by just echoing a conversation that I have had with friends, family, Many people over the years, you may have too, maybe you are a person who raises this question for yourself in your own mind, uh, and the question 
the question is this. Do I really have to belong, if, if I'm a child of God, if, if, if I'm a Christian, and we spoke quite at length over the previous few weeks about, you know, what, what does it mean to be a Christian, you know, and what we see in Acts so far about what that looks like. Uh, to, to push a bit further into that this morning, do, do I have to belong to a Christian community of people? For many people, this doesn't necessarily have to be the case. You know, their feeling is that I, I can be a child of God, I can belong to God, I, I can be a Christian, but it's really a, it's a, it's a me and, and a God thing. It, it, it's sort of really restricted to that area of my life. I, I, I don't need to, I don't have to belong to a church, belong to a, a faith community. It's not necessary. Um, that might be you this morning. Uh, well, you're here, so, so um, maybe not. Maybe you're not quite sure how important it is or whether it matters at all. Having listened to friends and family who struggle and who wrestle with this question uh, and being fully mindful that they often come from deep places of hurt, Deep places of hurt inflicted by the Christian community, and I want to recognise that, I want to acknowledge it, I want to be sensitive to that. Yet, at the end of the conversation, I cannot help but thinking to myself that it is possible to be a Christian on your own. Only as much as it is possible to be a soccer player who doesn't belong to a soccer team. So I can roll with analogy. Don't read too much theology into this, but let's be honest, you can probably be in some ways a soccer player and not belong to a team. You can wear the jersey, you can have the boots, you can have the skills, you can, you can dribble, you can shoot goals, you can go down to your soccer oval on Saturday mornings, or your soccer field, sorry, your soccer pitch, and you can shoot goals with your... 50 balls lined up, you can have all of that and probably say, yes, it's true, I'm a soccer player. Yet you know, and I know, that something's lacking. There's some things that you can only experience as a soccer player in belonging to a team. There are some things that will only ever develop in you as part of a team. There are some contributions that you can only ever make as part of a team. And I put it to you, I put it often, lovingly, gently, to those who really struggle with this, that the same is true of your Christian faith. Which gets us, and, and I, I share this by way of introduction because I want to introduce to you the theme of Christian community. So much of the book of Acts is about Christian and faith community. We haven't quite explored a lot of that up to now, but I can tell you that up to now in the story of Acts, here you have a Christian community by, by Acts chapter 5 that has grown in this place called Jerusalem up to 5,000 people, right? Many of these folks are displaced. They don't have homes, they don't have food to eat, they've, they've come to see Jesus as Lord, as Christ, 
They said, yes, it is him who we love. They've repented and they've now belonged and put their, 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 their placement in this faith community. And remember, what God is doing in Acts and in his church is shaping a new society, a new community, a new expression of humanity in relationship with each other that is called the church. It's all about Christian community. And, and, and these folks in Jerusalem are the first expression sort of of its type, a group of spirit-filled Christians who by now number 5,000 as a faith community. And today we see two things about this faith community. We've already seen some things, which I didn't really drill down on, but I want to drill down on today's two things that we see about Christian community. One of which would make you go, yep, love it, that is what I want to be a part of. The other, going to show you the raw, real, hard, broken side of this faith community. Both are there, both were true of this community, both will be true of our community, and we need to seek God's grace and wisdom and apply it to our lives today. So, two things about Christian community. First is this. We see a picture in these verses of community as we are supposed to be, as the Christian community, this new humanity, this new society that God is shaping uh, what it should be. Lovingly, selfless, and generous amongst each other. Tell me you weren't struck by that first bit that Anika read to us about the sheer size of what these people did for each other. I mean, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Remember, this is in a, in a, in a, in a place, in a context with no social security, no Centrelink, no government's going to look after you. It's, these are Roman times. If you're out, you're out. You're dying. You're, you're left to die. Okay? Yet in this community, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money, and it was distributed to everyone who had need. And then it mentions this solid example of a man called Joseph, who will eventually be called Barnabas. He becomes an exceptional leader in the rest of the story of the book of Acts as he preaches and teaches and many people come to faith through him. And it mentions that he sold the field he owned, brought the money, put it at the apostles' feet. <laughs> That's remarkable stuff, right? Remarkable sacrifice. Remarkable generosity, remarkable love, remarkable, unlike anything the world has ever seen before. Different. Now, if you're like me, selfish, stingy sinner, you're looking at this probably and you're asking perhaps the questions I'm asking myself. Does this mean that if I want to be part of this community, when I own a house... I own two cars. Is this telling me I've got to sell that stuff? I've got to bring it to leadership and say, look, here's, my, here's all I'm worth. I'm pitching in. And, and, and unless I do so, you know, this new community is, is not for me. 
I, I can't belong to it. Okay? <laughs> we're, we're, we're Westerners who live in a, in a capitalist society. This, this, this is confronting stuff for us. You'd even be confronted at a political level to say, well, is the church uh, socialistic in its orientation? Is, is it communism? They, they held all things in common, right? Is our very system condemned by what we see here in terms of what God wants from his new community? I'll give you two answers to that question. Number one, the short answer is no. Selling all your stuff and giving it to the church community is not a prerequisite. You don't have to do that. I mean, it's crystal clear in this text that these people did it of their own volition. They chose to do it. The church is not a cult that requires you, in order to belong to it, to pay your way in with a dogma where leadership from top down is going to force you and make you do, and if you don't, you cannot, therefore, belong. That's, that's authoritarianism, that's cultish, it's not the church, right? We also know that from this book of Acts, many people later on in Acts used the property, they still had, at the end of the book, people who were there in the beginning who did not sell their property. They kept it. They needed it. They used it for kingdom purposes later on. It wasn't an exclusive right of entry that everyone had to do that. So, so for, for the uh, person like me, the selfish, stingy Westerner, that's good news, Right? It's like, phew. And, and, and we're like that, aren't we? We like rules and regulations. We kind of want to know these, these are the rules and, and we can measure them, we can, we can quantify them and we can say, yep, I can measure myself against that and it's good. And then, you know, breathe a sigh of relief, except this is where the gospel and where Jesus always, always just ups the bar higher than we can ever imagine and he goes deeper than we can ever imagine. The fact is, these early Christians did it when they didn't even have to. Such was their love for Jesus. Such was their awe and wonder and estimated worth of what Jesus has done for them. That doing this stuff was just natural. You couldn't avoid it, right? And so I ask myself, as, as you probably do and should ask yourself, is, and we get back to that church, don't we? Every single time, every single time we talk about this stuff, if we wrestle with this, the question is, in how much awe do I stand of the love and selfless sacrifice of God towards me in Christ? The degree to which I get that is the degree to which I will love his community. Will love those in need. The degree to which my attachment to my stuff and my wealth will grow less and less and less. My sense for generosity and selflessness and my, my joy that I take in giving grows more and more and more and more until the point where I could maybe God willing one day be like a Joseph who says, you know, I'm quite happy, I'll just let it go. 
because Jesus is worth it. And this new community that he is shaping is worth it. And I'll give. Not because I have to, because I love, because I want to. And so that's the question. That's, that's, that's the, the driving force for the Christian community, even today. That we may be such a community who so increases in our love for Jesus, so increases in our love for what he's doing and what he is shaping in this new society. That if and where needed, we would be glad to give generously, selflessly, time, money, whatever is required. That's the principle. That's what makes Christian community different. That's what makes Christian community so distinctly attractive and wonderful. The best things that can be said about the church comes often from this. Okay? That's the first thing. That's the good thing. And up to here, friends, family, those who stepped out of Christian community would would say, yeah, I'd love to belong to a community like that, except... Uh, it's often not the case. It's often what Christian community is not like. It's often broken. It's often deceitful. It's often hurting. And we see that it has been like that, or the potential for that, right from the get-go. Because there is the second point. Acts, in the verses that we read this morning, shows us also something about what community is not supposed to be, right? It's the first time in the story, I'll just make a couple of observations and then I'll ask some of the hard questions here because this is a very hard passage, very hard, confronting. It's not hard to understand, but it's confronting and heavy. Um, The first time in the story of Acts where Satan enters the story. Peter's word to... Ananias, how has Satan so filled your heart? Not only the Holy Spirit that fills in this spiritual realm in which we live, Satan is active. Filled Ananias' heart, did what he did. He's responsible and Sapphire, but make no mistake, Satan's active. He's active in your life as much as he was in theirs, right? The other thing just to clarify and clear up is what exactly is it that Ananias and Sapphira are guilty of here. Just to be crystal clear, it's not because they kept money for themselves. Let's compare Joseph to Ananias and Sapphira. Joseph has a field. Joseph, let's say he sells it for $100,000. I, I don't, I'm speculating here, but I imagine the character and the type of man who Joseph was, I think he's the kind of guy who sort of, you know, slipped the envelope under the door and walked away. And somehow it was verified and the apostles knew that, you know what, he sold this thing for $100,000 and he said, I'm bringing $100,000. That's it. That's my love. That's my gift. And do with it what you would. Ananias and Sapphira does something quite different. They sell something, says his property, field, a house, who knows. $100,000, let's say. They walk to the apostles, to the church leadership in this new community of 5,000 people, and they say, this piece of property, we want you to know, sold 
for $60,000. Here's the full proceeds of what this thing sold for. And that's the issue. That's the issue. Isn't it telling that Peter says to them, it was your property. <laughs> you could have done with the money whatever you wanted. <laughs> you could have kept it all. You didn't have to sell it. You weren't forced to sell it. You could have been quite open and clear and said, look, it sold for 100, but we're going to give 60 because we need the other 40 for other stuff. But no. Ananias and Sapphira plays into deceit. I think what they wanted was status. I think what they wanted was in the eyes of the Christian community to appear to be lovingly selfless and generous. And they were willing to lie for it. They were willing to deceive for it. They were willing to publicly lead this entire community into this deceitful falsehood and sin, which is obviously the work of Satan all throughout the Bible. And that's the issue. That's the issue. Which brings us to the next question, and this is the biggest question with which I'll move towards an end, but I'll spend a bit of time here. Do you think, I think this, but I, I, I look at what they did and I go, why was Jesus so serious about this? I mean, church, make no mistake, this is, this is we talk about signs and wonders, and miracles and acts, this is one of them. Jesus enacted these deaths directly. These are the acts of Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Why? Why would Jesus in this instance be so serious about this? Isn't it, isn't it a bit harsh? I mean, you lie, I lie, right? And yet for these people, in, in, in Acts, in the time of grace, in the time of, you know, all the wonderful things that we spoke about in the previous weeks, we see something as stark and confronting as this. Why? That, that surely is the question that this raises. Utterly confronting. I struggle with this. You perhaps struggle with this. I, can, I, can I attempt to give you three things that... Maybe we don't get to the extent that we should if we struggle with this. Here, here are three things. And maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're new to faith. Maybe you're old to faith but new to this. Please bear with me as I, as I try and help us just grasp the, the needfulness of something as stark as this in the church. Okay, so three things. Here are three things that I need to say to myself if I, if I struggle with this. You know, the first thing that I'm saying is that I, I might not really know who God is. The one characteristic of God that is overtly given to us in Scripture 
over and over and over and over and over again is not that God is loving, although God is. It's not that God is gracious, although he is, and that's the one thing that makes him different to anything else on offer on the planet and in human existence, is his grace. Yet, by way of frequency, the thing that is most mentioned about God throughout the entirety of the Bible is that God is holy. God is holy. God cannot, will not, should not, Tolerate an ounce of sin, an ounce of imperfection. He is morally perfect. That's what holy means. Root means different. He is different from anything in that his perfection is to the max. 100% pure, holy, perfect. And will not and cannot come into touch with anything that is other than that lest he becomes imperfect. God is holy. <laughs> you say, well, okay, but then how, do, how does he, how does a holy being like that become the father who you spoke of in the last few weeks who embraces me and who holds me, 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 who, who certainly is not holy? Well, he makes a way, doesn't he? He sends his son. He says, I will let my, the consequences for sin fall on my son so that you, in my son, can be as holy as I am that I may hold you, that I may embrace you, that you be my child, that I be your father. This is what God does. This is the lengths that he would go to to ensure that you can be held, can be known, can be loved, can have hope, can have a future. You are not holy, but Jesus is and you're in Jesus. (laughs) And here's the second thing then that we don't get. From all that, we fail to understand the seriousness of sin. If you want to understand how serious sin in your life and sin in the life of the church is, you'd say, well, how big a deal is it? How serious is it? Look at the cross. That's how serious it is. That's how much it took for God to embrace you, to love you, to hold you. And then here's the question, church. If this is how serious it was for him, how can it be any less serious for me? How can I treat anything in my life with any less seriousness than what he treated it on the cross of Jesus. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you can and will become morally perfect to be accepted as a child of God. No, I'm telling you, you are a child of God because Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins. But as a child of God, now he calls you to seek his grace to change you. Seek his grace to transform you, to let you grow up as a child of God. And I think Ananias and Sapphira, I'm speculating here, I've got to trust God's judgment on this, but I suspect for them that cross meant too little. 
it meant nothing. I'm not sure that they got the full weight of what God has done for them. (laughs) And the author of Hebrews in another book of the Bible says, if we ignore such a great salvation, what hope is there for us? What hope is there for us? Do not underestimate, ever, even as a child of God, the seriousness of sin. Third thing that we might not get, that's the last one. You might say, well, I don't really care, perhaps, about the church community. This new society that God is creating if I don't take my own sin seriously. Here's some stats out of some research for us. I've shared some of it in the past from McCrindle. They surveyed exhaustively the entire population and they, and one of the things they measured was what are some behaviour blockers, some things that Christian people do that prevent people who are not Christians but open to learn, open to consider what prevents them from becoming Christians. What are the top five things that would make them go, nah, I'm not going to step into this. Now, number one is it's church abuse. Number two, hypocrisy. Then it has religious wars, judging others, issues around money. I want to draw your attention to the first two, church abuse and hypocrisy. That's Ananias and Sapphira. These two people and what they did were the visible expression of what keeps people away from church. I trusted you and you lied to me. I believed in you and you lied to me. It's awfully sad. It's awfully shocking. And I think, church, that what Jesus does right here at the outset of of the beginning of the birth of this wonderful society that he's creating is is, is he's saying, you know, if this is going to get up, it's got to be authentic. It's got to be real. I mean, if you know the Christian story, ask yourself, what would have happened if, if, if it wasn't Barnabas who went out to, eventually to Antioch, to uh, uh, eventually to Greece and to Rome and to call people and say, Jesus is Lord and Christ and this new community that he's shaping is fantastic. Barnabas is that guy, right? He preaches, he teaches, he shares Jesus with so many people. Hundreds, thousands, millions come to faith, give their life to Jesus because Barnabas is the real deal. What if it was Ananias? What if it was Sapphira? It was sent out, built this entire mission of Jesus on a lie, on hypocrisy. We know how disgusting that is to us. Even within the church, when we see church leaders who turn out to be hollow, fake, wolves, right? Jesus knows this. I think what we're saying is, and what we're seeing in Acts is, he cares and we should care greatly. I've always thought that, <clears throat> pardon me, my own sinfulness and the stuff that I struggle with is only my thing between me and God. And I think what Acts is saying to us, it's not. If you don't care about sin in your own life, 
you're also not caring about your church. You're not. Because the mission of your church depends on your authentic relationship with Jesus. An authentic relationship through which he will change you and grow you and transform you into the child of his that he wants you to be. Please, folks, if you believe in Jesus, take that seriously. Don't make light of it. If there is an unrepentant area of your life, turn to him. We spoke about repentance. Bring it under his lordship. He's not going to flick you off. Um, John rightly pointed out that Ryan blessed our men yesterday with exactly that. He was going to embrace you. He's going to help you. You're his child. Come to him. If you have been hurt by the church, if you've been abused, if you're one of the people listening to a recording or even on Zoom to this, I apologise on behalf of the church for what was done to you. And I pray that you may, in God's grace, find a place to belong again to a community to become fully who he has meant for you to be as his child within a loving family. And finally, I just speak to you, if you don't have God as your father, please, as every week, I invite you to step into that life. Your life too, even as someone who's not a child of God, is broken, ravaged, and destroyed by sin, by stuff that's not right. He wants to help you. Come to him. Place your faith in him. Let him fill you. Let him bring you. Let him change you. Please pray with me. Father, your word to us this morning is, is heavy. It's confronting. And Lord, we openly confess that too often we make too light of sin in our lives, everything that is not brought under your lordship. I pray, Lord, that that, that would change, if, where and how you would. Father, not out of, out of a desire to earn your grace or your favour, but precisely because we know we are your kids and you love us. <laughs> would you put in us such a desire to then grow up as your children, to reflect your holiness, your beauty, your splendour, Lord, which in turn might rub off in our community to make this community here a pathway and in fact every church everywhere such an authentically beautiful, stunning, selflessly loving, generous expression of the world that you are creating. Lord, that it would draw many to join your family. Father, make us through and through authentic, genuine, Jesus' people. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.